Welcome to the Journey Church Podcast. It's our hope that the next few moments lead you closer to Jesus, encourage you to grow, and equip you to exist for those not yet here. If you enjoyed today's message, we'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast so that we can bring you fresh content every week as you continue in your walk with Christ. We've been going through the sermon series called Church for the Ill. We started it last week. We thought it would be more exciting, and then they lost. And so uh, we're going to stick with it, right? And we, 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 I almost was like, we should go back to Samson after, after that. And so we go back to Samson. But we're going to finish this out because I feel like we're supposed to be in it. And what we're doing is I, I just want you to understand that you're, you're, if you're in this place, no matter where you're at, no matter where you've been, according to Jesus, you're his type of person. Now, that's what the Bible says. The Bible says in, in, in Matthew 9 that Jesus didn't come for the healthy. He came for, for the sick. He came for those that were ill. And so this is a place for people that, that, that are struggling, that are hurting. Uh, last week, we talked about people struggling with shame. Next week, I want to talk to you about the, how God is the God of the ugliest parts of your life. We're going to talk about a story in Scripture when Jesus met up with a demon-possessed, naked dude that was cutting himself in a cemetery. Come back for that, okay? I'm excited about that one. And so, But today, I want to talk to you on the topic of trust. I called this, this message, Trust Issues. Trust Issues. And I think a lot of us struggle with trust. I think it's just a natural um, part of walking through life. We, we, we struggle with, with, with trust. Stuff happens to us, and, and it's difficult for us to, uh, to get past it and trust that God's good or trust that something is going to happen from it that's going to be good. Or trust, when I say like God loves you, it's hard for us to trust that that's true. Some of you have trust issues with the church. You've been in church before, and it, church hurt you, and so you don't trust the church. Some of you have never been in church before, but you've just read articles about how corrupt the church is. And so you come in here, and you don't, you don't trust, and you have distrust of your parents and distrust of, of teachers, and we just don't, don't trust. And I think that, that, that's, that life has a way of making us not trust. And if I'm real, Satan thoroughly enjoys when people struggle with trust, specifically when it comes to the relationship with God. In fact, watch what the Bible says in Jeremiah 17 about how much of a blessing that trusting in God is. Watch what it says. But blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. There's a blessing when your confidence is in the Lord. Watch what the Bible says. There'll be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It doesn't fear when heat comes. It leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and it never fails to bear fruit. There's this blessing that comes in your life when you fully follow and trust the Lord. So that's why Satan is really into getting us to not trust him. How, do, how does it happen? It happens in moments. Really devastating, difficult moments. It happens in moments where we have expectations of God, we think things are going to happen, and they don't turn out the way we think they are. In fact, uh, years ago I preached a sermon, uh, and the title of the sermon was, where, where was God? Where was God? And before I preached the sermon, I went to Google, and I just typed in, this, in, the, in the search bar, where was God? And then it just finished my sentence, and it was, it was really sad. Where was God when my kid died? Where was God when I was molested or abused? Where was God when I lost my job? Where was God when my marriage fell apart? Where, 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 where was God, you know, when my, my parent abandoned me when I was a kid? Where was God when I asked him to do, do this specific 
prayer request and he didn't come through. Some people got more vague. Where was God at the Holocaust? Where was God on 9-11? Where's God when kids go starving? Where was God? The questions are all based on this, this entity that is out there that we are having a hard time trusting. I don't trust that God is who he said that he is. And here's what ends up happening when you begin to, to struggle with, 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 with trust. It begins to filter every part of your life to where you, you look at things, you go, okay, I see that. I, I, I define it as this way. I, I, I'll, 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 I'll say it like this. Like, let me, let me just make it real practical. I started thinking about Philly people, right? Like I was thinking about how Philly people sometimes say things differently than other people. Did you ever notice that? Like you can see a, say a word, and if you're from Philly, you say it one way, and if you're not from Philly, you say it a different way. Uh, and you see the same word, but you say it different ways. Like let me just give you a couple words. Uh, okay, so on the count of three at both campuses, yell out this word, one, two, three. So some of you are still saying it. Because some of us said Acme, and then others of us from Philly, how do you say it? Acme. They're like, Dude, that's a full sentence, what you just said, right? Acme. Right, let me just give you a few, few more words, Philly, Philly words. Uh, here, here's another one. Here's another one. All right. One, two, three, tell me what this word is. All right. Some of you are like, oh, all right, right? If you're from Philly, what do you say? All right. I'm not. I'm, I'm just pretending, right? Like, I'm from Boyertown. I say, all right, right? And so... All right, all right, a little Dutch accent. And so, but some of you, all right, right? Here's the, I like this one. Go to the next one. On the count of three, tell me what you see at both campuses. One, two, three. Birthday. So some of you said birthday, right? If you're from Philly, what do you say? Birthday. birthday. We don't even, you, you don't, you just ignore the fact that there's a T and H there, right? <laughs> birthday. We can keep going. It keeps going. Like here's, here's another one. Same thing. One, two, three. Say what you hear. Breakfast. So some of you say breakfast, Right? Breakfast. Some of you say breakfast, right? I like this one. Go, go, go down, go down two to, to the next one. The next one. Not, not this. Go down to the next one. Uh, what, how you say this one? This is a good one. One, two, three. Nothing. If you're from Philly, how you say it? Nothing. Nothing. <laughs> What's wrong with you? Nothing, right? Vinay from Philly. She says like that. What's wrong? Nothing, right? All right. Should I call a counselor? What's, what's going on? Nothing, right? Like. What, what's that? If you're from, if you're from, nothing, right? There's nothing wrong with me. Can you go down a few more? Let's see what else we got. Let's see what else we got. Uh, uh, next one. Uh, I like this one. One, two, three. What do you see? Talk. If you're from Philly, you're from Philly. How do you say it? Talk. Let's have a talk. I'm going to give you a 30 minute talk today, right? Let's talk about this. Let me talk to you about trust, right? We have issues. Let me show you one more word. One more word. All right, what, what, what do you see here? One, one two, three? Nowhere. nowhere. So if you're from Philly, I guarantee you said nowhere. You said nowhere because you have trust issues, right? Because of things that, like, like yesterday. But some of you, some of you more optimistic people, do you see what else it says? What does it say? You see, some of you are like, I didn't see that. I would never see that, right? I see nowhere. But some of us been through some stuff like, no, it says now where, like it's, or or now here, like it's, you know, there's optimism there. God, and so I want you to see, according to what you've been through in your life, according to what you faced, according to how you faced it, according to your walk with the Lord, some of us are looking at life and we're going, God is, is, is now here. 
Like he's in my life. He's led me through some stuff. He's walked me through. It's not, it's not my life's been perfect. It's not that my life's been easy, but God's here. And others of us been through very similar things because I've noticed that in church, you can have people that have been through very similar things in your room. And some of them have seemed to recover and found light and walk through it. And they would say, God is here in my life. And other people, because of what you've been through and you lack trust, what are you saying? God's not anywhere in my life. He's not, he doesn't see me. He doesn't care about me. He doesn't notice me. Even tried to follow him at one point and stuff didn't work out. And God is nowhere to be found in my life, which Satan loves because that is the, the, the epitome of somebody who is losing their trust in the goodness of God. So I'll say things like, God has a good plan for your life. Not my life. God's nowhere. God will make a way where there seems to be no way. No, no. I've been in a dead end my whole life. I can't move forward. Hey, listen, God can break an addiction in your life. Not my life because God is nowhere to be found. I want to show you one of the most famous nowhere now here stories in scripture. If I were to pull a, uh, an example out from the gospels, I'm going to always go to the story uh, of Lazarus. If you have your Bibles or you're on your app, we're going to go through this story in the book of John chapter 11. Little background of this story is these people we're about to talk, talk about are Jesus' friends. So like G Jesus, he was a very, uh, he was fully God, fully man. And so he went through human emotions and he had human relationships. He was friends with people. He had disciples. He had people he healed. But there's people in scripture you can read about that you know them by their first name and you know that they were friends of Jesus. These people that I'm about to introduce you to, they are close with Jesus. We know their first names. Their names are Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Now we know they're close because there was a time where Jesus, earlier on was at their house having a meal, hanging out. And so Martha is the oldest. Mary is the youngest. You meet them in the midst of a little bit of a family strife. And I don't know if you've ever been into a holiday or any type of family meal. It feels like families have struggled with some of the same things forever. Here's what they struggled with. Martha is older. Mary is younger. Jesus is over to eat. Martha is busy making the meal and cooking and cleaning and moving all around. And Mary, the younger sister, guess where she's at? the feet of Jesus. And the Bible records the, 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 the mentality of Martha. She's mad because she's working and Mar or Mary is sitting. You ever been in a relationship like that? You're like, I'm doing all the work. Jesus is here. I'm feeding them my pierogies. I'm thinking about pierogies because I fed my kids them last night. They hated them. And so, but I'm thinking about, like, I can't believe I raised kids in this area. Don't eat pierogies. And so I'm praying for them. And so, but I fed and I, I did all this work and, and you're just sitting here listening. You can go back and read it. Uh, and Jesus looks at Martha. Martha says, chill out in, in Greek, right? Chill out. And so Mary's doing what's important, listening to me. When I'm, I'm not going to be here for very long. Uh, you, should come, you should come relax too. So this is the interaction. So you know that they're, you know, they're, they're, they're friendly enough to have real conversations like that. So some time passes, and in John chapter 11, the Bible says that Lazarus was sick. He got sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mar Mary, and his sister Martha. Uh, the Bible says that this Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. You ever heard the song, The Alabaster Jar? This is what it's talking about. This is the same Mary, the Bible says. The Bible says, so the sister sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, the sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory that God's son may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and his sister and Lazarus. The Bible wants us to know that. Because sometimes in life, we forget that. 
Sometimes when we go through nowhere moments, we forget. It wants to establish the same truth for us. Now, now Jesus, he loved these three people. But just because he loved them doesn't mean it works out exactly like they want him to, they want him to work out. Watch what the Bible says. The Bible says, so when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two more days. You ever ask God for something and he doesn't give it to you at the time that you want it? He stays two more days. And then he said to his disciples, now let's go back. But Rabbi, they said, a short while, the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you are going back? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will stumble, for they will see by the the world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. After he has said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going to go wake him up. You ever been in a situation where somebody speaks something to you, goes right over your head? I don't even know what that means. It's not part of my sermon, so I didn't research it. But I think his disciples are like, we have no idea what Jesus is talking about right now. And now he says Lazarus is sleeping. And the Bible says if he sleeps, they say if he sleeps, he's going to get better. But Jesus was speaking of his death. His disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, sometime, Lazarus is dead. He, he, he's dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. And Thomas, also known as Didymus, Right? Said to the rest of his disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. On his arrival, the Bible says, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in a tomb for four days. Let me just give you a few nowhere to now hear, hear moments in this story. Because there, there's, there, there's two different perspectives. It's, it's, a, um, um, it's a level of trust. Nowhere uh, to now here. No, number one is this, is you can go into a now here mentality when you begin to trust Jesus with your doubts. Now, here's the thing about, about church, and I've told you this before. Church is an odd spot because it feels like at church you should have it all together. Anybody ever think that? Like you should, you should come in, like if you ask people how they're doing today, I bet nine out of ten people, what they tell you? Doing great. Doing great. And the person who tells you they didn't, you're like, I got to get coffee. I don't have time for this. Church starts in three minutes, right? Like I'll talk to you later about it. But most of us, if you ask us, how are you doing? We're doing great. Like I have, I have, I'm great, right? And so a lot of times at church, when we think about church, we're all, we're all great, but I want to I talk to you about something that's really important. I want to talk to you about how it's okay for you to have doubts in your spiritual life. It's okay for you to look at things and go, I don't know if that's going to work out the way I thought it was. I don't see the goodness of God in this moment. I don't fully comprehend it. Like you are actually allowed to live in that from time to time. You're allowed to embrace your doubts. You're allowed to look at God and go, God, I don't know what's going on in this moment. I don't know if you're going to work things out the way that I thought you would. I'm gonna, it's okay for you to be truthful at church every once in a while. Are you tracking with me? It's okay for you to come in and, and not put the church mask on and be like, I don't, like, stuff not going well this week. I, I've had those times in my life and as, as a pastor since 2005. I've had moments where, like, I, if I'm honest, like, people ask me, how you doing? I, I had doubts. I didn't know if I was doing all right. I didn't know if stuff was going to be okay. I, I remember a few years back, uh, we had a young girl in our church. She was healthy one day, and then the next day she was in the hospital on life support, uh, being kept alive by, by, a, by a machine because her heart exploded. She was a young girl, 
And, and, and I remember we went, we went to the hospital. And we, this was one of the first times this has happened in, in our church where just something that you didn't think was going to happen. Life just, is, just changes in a moment. And a lot of people from the church went to this, this hospital and began to pray. And we sang songs outside of our room. And we anointed door hand. We did everything you could possibly do, right? And I remember thinking to myself, this, this is going to be awesome. Like, I was even thinking about Lazarus. You're going you're gonna to heal her. You're going to give her a new heart. You're going to bring her back from the dead. She's going to pray. She's going to write books. Like she's going to do all this stuff. Revival is going to break out in our church. Jesus, you did it then. You'll, you'll do it again, right? Like I'm saying all the, the, right, the right things. And we prayed for her and we prayed for her and we prayed for her and days passed and it got to the point where nothing was changing and they were like, hey, we're going to take her off of, off of life support and if she, she goes, we're going to let her go see Jesus and if she's healed, we're going to celebrate. And they took her off and what, what I expected was going to happen is she was going to come out, talk to us. We're going to be kind of freaked out. It was going to be awesome. And instead, she passed away. And I remember thinking to myself in that moment, I knew about the goodness of God and the grace of God and the healing power of God, but I had doubts in that moment. Like, how, how does this make sense? Like, you ever been there where you're like, I started going over people that it would have made more sense if Jesus would just stop their life? You know what I'm talking about? Like, you ever ask God for something and he doesn't give it to you and then you start looking at other people's lives? Maybe it's a child. You see people up here having, having kids and they're dedicating them and they have like seven or eight of them and you just want one. And you start going over in your head, well, this person has a kid. They don't deserve a kid. They don't even like kids. I would take their kids. Well, why, why aren't you doing that for me? And you begin to doubt the goodness of God or maybe, maybe real practically uh, you have a job and uh, you got fired from your job. You really loved your job. Like you worked hard at your job and then you left and there was people at that job that didn't like it at all. It was kind of just a stepping stone for them and they're still working. You go, God, I don't understand this. I don't understand why you would let this happen. Or maybe it's health. Like you actually, you actually pay attention to what's going in your ear. Meet somebody. They literally, they, they have IVs filled with Big Macs and they're fine. They have low cholesterol and you watch what you eat and you, and, and you went to the doctor for a checkup and something, something a bad report and now you're struggling. Like why am I sick? And I watch what I eat and I go to Kimberton every day and I'm organic and I'm oiling everything up and I'm sick now. And my friend literally eats Wendy's and McDonald's and Wawa every day and drinks monsters like they're, like they're water and they're fine. And you're like doubting God like this. You, I want you to, I, if you really dive into this story, this story is filled with moments where people are going, Jesus is not here. He's nowhere in my life. And you see the doubt in their lives. I mean, think about the first person. Uh, I started thinking about Martha. So if you read the story more, the Bible begins to talk about, about Martha. So Martha, she assumes she's really close with Jesus. It's just, it's just, you can just feel it. Like she's just, they're tight. You ever been in a relationship with somebody where you think you're tighter than you are? Maybe it's been a dating relationship where you thought you were dating them and they introduce you to your, their friends and they're like, yeah, that's my good friend. Like that's not a good time right there. You're like, What? We've been dating for nine months. Are you like, this is, this is, Martha's like, I'm going to ask Jesus to come do this, and he's going to come do it because he's my friend. Like, he, I fed him. I gave him pierogies, and we ate together, and, 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 and we prayed together, and like, he's out healing people. He don't even know them by name. Like, he's talking to a woman at the well, and he's, you know, the woman caught in a dog. We don't even know their names, like, but he knows me. I'm in the Bible, right? Like, he's going to come heal me, and he's going to he, heal my brother, and he's going to meet our needs. And so she calls him, and he says, yeah, I'm going to come, but then he doesn't come for four days. Like, he just kind of hangs out. If you don't think doubt is creeping into her head, if you don't think she's going, maybe Jesus is not the guy I thought he was. 
Maybe he's not the friend that I thought he was. Maybe, maybe he's not the, the confident that I thought he was. Maybe, maybe we don't have the relationship that I thought we had. Maybe he's not good like I thought he was good. Maybe he's not gracious. Maybe he's not a healer. And she's struggling with that. But you can see even more doubt in this. I don't know if you know anything about the disciples, uh, but I bet if I, if I begin to name some disciples off, even if you don't go to church, you would say, yeah, I, I know some of them. Like uh, most of us know who Peter is. Even if you've never been to church before, at some point, your grandma drug you to Catholic church. And you've heard about the, the, the first Pope Peter, right? And so you know who Peter is. Most of us know who John is just because some of us have passed churches and they've been first church of the apostle John. And so we've heard of John and we've heard of Peter and some of us have heard of Judas, right? And I talked to you about Judas last week because Judas betrayed Jesus. But maybe one of the most popular other disciples uh, that you would know, even if you don't go to church, is Thomas. We, we, we call him in the church and outside the church, Doubting Thomas. And he would have struggled with doubt. Especially, especially after Jesus died on the cross. Jesus died and, and he came back and people started seeing him. But, but Thomas went AWOL. He, he was missing for about seven days. And so when they started telling him, Jesus is back from, from the dead. He said, I'm not going to believe it unless I see the nails in his hands and the, and the, the nails in the, the holes in his, in his ankles. Unless I see those holes, I'm not going to believe. And so Jesus comes back and finds him and shows him the holes in his hands and the holes in his feet. But if you read this story too fast, you're going to see this doubt begin to creep up in him, even in this situation. Did you see what he says? He says, let's go back and die with him. It's not like a good thing. Look, let's go die. He's being sarcastic. Can you believe he's going to take us back to Judea where he was getting persecuted to talk and heal somebody who's probably already dead? We're going to all go die with him. And he is doubting the goodness of God. He's saying, this is not a good moment. This is not where we should be as followers of Christ. This is not where we should be going. So some of you are struggling to see God here in, in, in your doubts. Let me, let me give you another, another thought. Some of you are struggling and you can begin to trust that God is now here in your discouragements, in your disappointments. I have found in my life that uh, disappointments have a way of uh, causing me to lose my trust in God. No, here's what a disappointment is. A disappointment is the distance between when, when you have an expectation and you face reality. I don't know about you, but I've had a lot of them in my life. I've had expectations. I had expectations even yesterday. I just expected things to work out for, for us, right? Like I had expectations and then reality. And in the middle is what I call, some of you, you're right there. Like you're just disappointed in what happened in the World Series. You're disappointed. You prayed. I, I even had my barber tell me, I, I prayed and it worked. I'm like, you should pray again. And so I can't wait to see him and be like, what, what'd you pray? Like, what'd you do, bro? Some of, you, some of you prayed for a family member and a marriage didn't work out. Some of you have prayed for uh, an addiction and, and, some, and it didn't work out. Some of you have asked God to help you get through uh, a situation and he hasn't gotten you through it yet. Like you're still right in the middle of it. You've asked him to take it from you and you're struggling in, in your disappointment. And I want to show you this because this is also in the story. You see, in, in one sense, you have doubt running rampant. You have doubt of Martha. You have the doubt of, 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 of Thomas. But I want to show you the disappointment in the story. The Bible says, says that Martha, in verse number 20, hears that Jesus is coming, and so she goes out to meet him. I want, I want you to picture this, by the way. Can you just stick with me for a second? Could you imagine the disciples seeing Martha walking out pissed off at Jesus in this situation? You ever seen a, a lady mad, how they walk? She's walking out, and, and, and listen, Peter and John are like, yo, Jesus, she's going to kill you, right? She's mad. 
mad, right? Like, look at her. She's just walking out there and she, she's mad. But I want you to notice something. Watch what the Bible says. The Bible says, but Mary, who Mary, who sat by his feet the first time he met him, who loves Jesus, right? Who is infatuated with what he's saying. She is so disappointed. What does the Bible say she does? Hey, Jesus is coming. I'm not going to meet him. I'm not going, I'm not going to talk to him. Uh, the Bible says that Lord Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Martha goes and meets him in her doubt. Mary stays home in her disappointment and says, I'm not even going to talk to you. Some of you are struggling right now. I think she went through all five stages of grief. She went through all five, denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and she's to the point where she's just accepted what had happened. But you remember what Jesus said and when he, before he came? He said, this isn't going to end in death. Here's what I would tell you about disappointment. Uh, give God time in your life. Give him the opportunity. Sometimes God will disappoint you, right? And he'll let you down, but he does so because what you're asking him to do is not as good as what he actually wants to do. And so sometimes he'll say no in a moment because his yes is better in the future. And so he needs to get you through it. I don't want you to have that relationship because the relationship that I have in your future is better. I know you're disappointed in what I've done, but I don't say no to you unless I have a better way. In fact, I've reminded myself of a few things over the years because I've gone through disappointments. I've gone through moments where I didn't understand. And here's what I'll read to myself, and maybe it'll be an encouragement to you, but here's what I'll read. I'll say, God's will in my life. He doesn't say wait without a different way. He doesn't say yes unless it's his best. And he doesn't say no until I, unless I still need to go. So if I ask according to God's will and the thing that I've asked for has not made its way to me, then there's a better way God is making, a better who God is bringing, and a better where God is taking me. It's important. You can lean into the disappointments of your life. He's a, he's a now here God in your, in your disappointments. So let me just give you one more, one more thought. He's a now here God. You can trust him in your disgust. You can trust him in your disgust. The Bible says in John 11, uh, Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. And it was a cave, a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. So I didn't get to read you that part, but the Bible says that Jesus comes to the tomb and he physically cries. He's so upset because all the people are upset. He's not upset because he's not going to be able to raise Lazarus from the dead. He's upset because everybody else is upset. Was it such a good picture of the humanity of Jesus? He hurts when we hurt. He's upset when we're upset. He's crushed with us when we're crushed. Like he, he is that type of friend to us. And so the Bible says he comes to the tomb where everybody's kind of there and they're, they're crying. And he says, take away the stone. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time, there is a bad odor, for he has been dead for four days. Such a crucial part of the story. Here's the third thing that you can, you can invite God to be now here in, in your disgust. And here's what I mean. Uh, it seems like for me, as a follower of Christ, that I'm good inviting God into the good parts of my life. But when I mess up, when I fail, when I fall short, when I, uh, when I know I've, I've disobeyed, like it, it seems natural for me to kind of want to stay away till I can clean up my mess first and then come back to God. Like, I, I'm not often excited to meet God in my, in my failures. And I don't know what it is. Uh, I started thinking about parenting and uh, the mistakes that I've made in parenting. And uh, so I was, you know, these people have little kids up here and I'm not really in that stage anymore. And so, thank God. And so, uh, 
but, I, but I think about it, think about things I would do different. And uh, one of the things that I, that I haven't done well, and there's been plenty of them, I could, we could be up here for a long time, haven't done well, is I haven't responded to my kids' failure uh, in a good way at my house. And so failure at sports, failure at school, whatever, like we, we, we can work on that. I'm talking specific, like, like little kids, you know, living and making messes things. You know what I'm talking about? Like how many of you have had kids and they've spilled something in your kitchen or somewhere else a million times in their life? Anybody? Like literally they can spill it, pick it up, dump it again, spill it again. Right? Or uh, drew on something they shouldn't have drawn on or, 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 you know, I can think of a million things. Broke something. Like I, I, my Harrison's my third. You, you talk about it in my house. He's broken it. He's broken the faucet off of, of, of my shower. I walked in one time, he's holding it in his hand. He was one. I was like, are you, is this Samson? Should we, you know, what's going, how did you do that, right? Like everything, put a hole through my basketball hoop a few months ago, like everything. Like I can just give you a list of things that he's done where he's made messes. And I can tell you what I wish I would do is I wish when he did that or when they spilled something or something like that, that I would respond how God responds to our messes. And here's how I, would, I, I wish I could do it. That's okay. Thank you for inviting your dad into the situation so that I can teach you how to clean up this mess. And it's okay. It's on our Formica countertops. Not that big of a deal. This drink costs more than the countertops. And so, like, it's okay. It's okay you put a hole through the basketball hoop. It's just a mistake. And it's okay that you broke that off of the wall. It's just a mistake. But you know how I respond? What the heck are you doing? What do you have that in your hand for? How did you do that? Do you know how to pour? Pour right, right? Ask me. And, and, and you can just see it. It's like, so what do they do now? What, and, and I'm just being real with you. I, don't, I have not responded. What, what do they do now when they make a mess? Try to quick clean it up and try to hide it. And, and, and it just gets worse. And so I wish I would have taught them better because the, the, the heart of God is to meet you in your disgust, in your really bad moments. That's the heart of God. The heart of God is not to say, okay, hey, clean yourself up, then come to me. It's, it's I'll meet you if you're weary, heavy laden. I'll give you rest. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Some of you are in the middle of a really disgusting situation. Addictions, brokenness, you know, mistakes. Uh, we talked about shame last week. This, let's just be honest. Like you're, and, it, and it feels like you need to do certain things. And then you can invite God into your life after you clean it up. But I just want to tell you that he's here in the worst moments. That, that he'll meet you in your worst moments, that he'll give you grace and he'll give you mercy and he'll give you forgiveness and he'll, he'll pick you up and he'll, he'll carry you and he'll clean you up and he'll, he'll touch the, you know, the, the parts of your life that you think are untouchable. The spirit of living God, he, he touches those. He, he's able, the Bible says, things that you think are dead that you've rolled the stone so, in front of your life to cover up, that if you would just unroll the stone, that he'll touch the, the deadest parts of your life. The Bible says that he's able to call dead things back to life. But that's what he's able to do. So you just invite. God is not nowhere in your, in your, in your, in your disgust. He's, 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 now, he's now here. I love, I love the next part of the story. What does it say? Jesus was moved, and he says that he has a bad odor. And I love this because it says he's dead for four days. At that point, when you were dead for four days, not only were you dead, but they had assumed that your spirit, which stayed with you for three days, according to their religion, it was gone. So you're dead, dead. Now, there's all different interpretations and, and explanations of what had happened to a body. But one thing we know is he's been embalmed. He's been wrapped up uh, to be preserved. So we, we know when Jesus calls him out that he comes hopping out and he's in his grave cloths. One of my favorite uh, 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 thoughts about the story of Lazarus is when they buried people, they would take out their, their organs and they would put them beside them. 
So like he's dead, dead. Like his lungs and his heart and his eyeballs and all, they're just sitting beside him. So I don't know if it actually happened, but in my visual of the story, like he tells the roll of stone away, Lazarus comes hopping out and dude is carrying his heart in his lungs and jars in his hands. I mean, that, that's, that's added, you know, to the, to the, to the moment. Like he's, and, he, and Jesus is just restoring and redeeming his life. And could you imagine for the rest of Lazarus' life, hey, weren't you that dude that died? What was that like? It was incredible. I was dead and I was gone and I was lost and I was, it, was, it was forgotten and my, lung, my lungs were taken out of my body and my heart was gone and I was wrapped up in grave, grave cloths. But Jesus showed up to my tomb, told him to roll away the stone. My, my sister was willing to let the odor out because that was kind of embarrassing and disgusting. And Jesus called me forth and, 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 and I'm living. Could you imagine the rest of his life if anybody tried to tell him, I'm going to kill you? He would say, I've already been dead. <laughs> I've already been dead. It's not that scary. Like, could you imagine what type of, what, what's, and that's, that's what happens to a follower of Jesus Christ. You've been brought back from the dead. You've been called out of your disgust. You've been, you've walked through disappointments in your life, seeing that God is a good God. That even when I don't understand it, that he's still moving, he's still working, he's still making a, a, a way. Some of us, we've worked through doubt. And I can tell you, there's been moments in my life where I doubted the goodness of God. But then I look back and I realize, oh, that's what God was doing in that situation. That's how he was using it. That's how he was working. And I can honestly say after years and years of following Christ that he's a now here God. In every situation, sometimes I can't see him right away and sometimes I don't feel him, but I know because I trust him that he's here. He's here. And I can tell you right now, whatever situation that you're, that you're in, the spirit of the living God, the one that changes, the one that forgives, the one that restores, the one that redeems, the one that's healed many of us, he's right here right now. He'll meet you in your doubt. He'll call you in your disappointment. He'll give you grace in the dirty, disgusting parts of your life. He'll do it if you allow him. But you got to do the same thing they did at last. You got to move the stone away. You got to let the stone out of your life, the hardness of heart, the distance you've created, the continuing to run from him. I'm going to humble myself before God. Do me a favor. Would you stand to your feet? Would you just bow your heads and close your eyes just for a moment for me? So maybe I'm talking to you today. Both here in Montgomery, I struggle with trust. Because that's the beginning of a relationship with, with God, which, which, listen, which is why Satan does everything he can to destroy it. Simple. Because to follow Christ, you got to trust him. You got to trust him. Your entire relationship with him is built on trust. I trust you. I trust you when I don't see you. I trust you when I don't understand you. Sometimes I'm going to trust you regardless of what I'm looking at. I'm going to believe in your promises. I'm going to believe in your word. I'm going to allow you to walk me through the valley of the shadow of death, and I'm not going to fear any evil because I know you're with me. Some of you, you allow doubt to come into your head, and uh, instead of facing doubt and trying to figure out where God's at in that doubt, you've allowed yourself to just walk away. You've convinced yourself, if God was good, he wouldn't let that happen to me. He can't be good because the Bible says that he'll make everything work out perfectly for me. And you allow doubt to come into your head. The Bible never said that. The Bible never tells you you'll live scar-free. The Bible tells you this world's not your home. The Bible, the Bible tells you that this is temporary, that eternity is forever. The Bible tells you to take heart because Jesus has overcome the world. 
It doesn't say you're not going to go through some stuff. So maybe you need to realign yourself in that doubt. Some of you have been disappointed. Let's just be honest. You thought something was going to work out and it didn't work out. And you're allowing that disappointment to to determine your trust. And here's what I'm going to tell you. If you're not dead, God's not done. Don't you dare give up in the middle. The Bible says that Jesus is the author and perfecter of your faith. That he has written out your story from start to finish. And there's moments where it's painful. There's moments where you don't know what to do. There's moments where you're confused. There's moments where you're going to be disappointed. But the author is still in control. And others of you in this place, man, you've allowed your your situation. You just feel dirty right now, if I'm honest. You just feel disgusting. You feel used. You feel gross. You, You feel not good enough. You feel unworthy. Maybe you've listened to the lies of the enemy that said that there's not a God that could ever take you back. There's nobody that loves you. Can I just encourage you with the truth? That Jesus Christ, the one who saved me, that he loves us in spite of ourselves, that his grace for us is greater than any sin or baggage that we have, that if you will call on him, that he'll meet you right where you're at. He doesn't ask you to go clean yourself up. He says, hey, invite me into your mess. And he'll come in right now and he'll do what he does. He'll restore, he'll heal, he'll forgive, he'll set free. That's who he is. So I believe his spirit is here right now. Maybe you haven't been to church for years, you've never been here before. Maybe you've walked through the doors of the church for many years, but you've never had an experience with Jesus Christ that has changed your life. Maybe you know him with your head, but you've never met him in your heart. And today you realize as I've been preaching, you don't fully trust him, but you want to. You want to invite him into your life. You want to see him as a now here God. He's here in every situation of my life. Here's what the Bible says to do. You believe in Jesus. You can feel him knocking at the door of your heart. The Bible says to confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord. What's he Lord of? He's forgiven your sins. The Bible says that he holds the keys of eternity, that it's through his death, his burial, and his resurrection that we become brand new people, that if we would just say yes to him, that he would come into our lives, he would heal us, and he would make us whole. The Bible says that we'll become a brand new creation. But here's the thing about it. I wish you could see it. His hands are reached out. They're open wide. But he doesn't make you love him. He asks you to choose him. Today I'm going to choose Jesus to be my Lord and my Savior. I'm going to let go of my old life. I'm going to let go of my pain. I'm going to let go of my bitterness. I'm going to let go of that anxiety and I'm going to say yes to Jesus Christ. I'm going to trust him fully. Maybe that's you as we get ready to close and you say, hey, you're you're speaking to me right now. I'm not living a life of trust. I'm not living a life of freedom. I'm not living a life of grace. I'm not living a life of forgiveness. And I don't want to live the way that I'm living one more day. I know today that I need Jesus Christ to be the Lord and Savior of my life. I would love to pray with you as we close. It's not going to be a long religious prayer. It's just you saying yes to Jesus. And the Bible says when you call to him, that'll come and save you. That'll come and save you. So if you're in this place and you don't know him, if you're in Montgomeryville and you don't know him, but you need to, I'm going to put my trust in Jesus Christ. 
I'm going to trust him with my doubt, my disappointments, my disgust. I'm going to invite him into my life. He's going to be a now, here God. If that's you all over our houses, if you would say, that's me, would you just shoot your hand straight towards heaven and say, hey, that's me. I need Jesus Christ to be my Lord and Savior. I see a hand. I see a hand right here. Is there anybody else? I see a few hands back here. Yes. Hand right here. Come on, let's keep clapping, church. Is there anybody else who would say, hey, pastor, that's me. If you're in Montgomeryville, would you just keep your hand held high? Maybe you're right there online with us and you just type in the chat, that's me. I want you guys to pray with me all over this house. I want you to repeat after me something like this. Say, Jesus. Come on, say it like we didn't lose the World Series yesterday. Say, Jesus. There you go. I love you. I thank you for this day. Jesus, thank you for coming and dying on the cross for my sins. Jesus, I believe on the third day you rose in power and it's through you that my sins are forgiven and I become a brand new person. Today's a new day. I have new hope. I have joy. I have peace. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. All over this place, would you shout amen? Amen. Amen. Let's clap together. Thank you for taking a few minutes out of your day to listen to our podcast. If you decided to give your life to Jesus after hearing this message or want to learn more about how you can join us in person, visit jrny.church for more resources or to find a location near you. Have a great rest of your day.